My name is William Corliss, and this is the Workplace Podcast. Brought to you in association with Yellowwood, providers of executive coaching, corporate training and facilitation. Your external learning and development partner. Each week we focus on a different aspect of the workplace. We hear from guest speakers who will be subject matter experts, who I believe are incredibly talented at what they do. These experts will give you a different perspective and insight to work life, with the aim of empowering you to take a different path to success in all aspects of work life. These perspectives will include career and personal success, leadership, high performance teams, and creating a better work-life culture in your organization. Yellowwood, take a different path to success with your career, team, and organization. Welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Our topic today is tapping into your natural leadership with our guest, Beth Anstandig. For more than 25 years, licensed psychotherapist, university faculty member, and lifelong cowgirl, Beth Anstandig has worked with human herds providing leadership, corporate culture, and well-being programs through the Circle Up Experience. She's trained thousands of CEOs, managers, and teams from companies, universities, and nonprofits, helping them tap into their natural leadership to live, lead, and work with genuine connection. Beth is the author of the critically acclaimed new book, The Human Herd, Awakening Our Natural Leadership, which we will be discussing today. She has been featured in global media, including BBC World Service and PBS. Beth lives in her Morgan Hill ranch with her family and an expanding immunity of animal herds. Beth, welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Before we start, I'm going to dedicate this episode to my dad, a fellow horse whisperer, even though he would never dare call himself that. So I grew up around horses. So I'm very intrigued about your approach here. My my dad was very successful with training horses to a national European level and ponies as well, to, to say that. And, and some went on to uh, different countries in the world and, and US being some of them. So I am very intrigued by your approach uh, your equine approach to natural leadership. How did that transition occur? Because you're a psychotherapist, you do lots of corporate work. How did, how did this come about? Well, I, it's like there were two paths that were very par- parallel. And one was my my own development and trying to kind of crawl myself out of a difficult childhood and find my way into a healthy adulthood and develop myself. Yeah. And which which grew into a career as a therapist, um, which is kind of a funny thing, but I, I think it happens to a lot of therapists actually. We we kind of grow into our own healing, sometimes become therapists to avoid our own healing and then hopefully arrive at it anyway. And that was certainly my story. And then this other path that had been my lifelong journey with my animals and my animals as my teachers, as my support system, as my partners, and really as a very foundational, stable guide in my life that I, I trusted implicitly um, my whole life. And so I was learning from my animals, and a lot of my personal development was happening in those relationships. And I sought out trainers and teachers who would indulge those paths to be, you know, are are we working on animal stuff and riding and dog things, or are we working on Beth? And it was a little bit of both. 
And as those paths ran parallel of ultimately like a lot of paths do, they collided and which was a big terrifying moment when I realized, I think that I can't separate these anymore and I can't live my professional life separately from this part of myself that I've really been working on. And I can't do traditional therapy anymore. I can't even talk about it in the same way without talking about us as mammals and as human animals. And when I started to do that, I got a lot of wide eyes <laughs> and a lot of like cocked heads and like, wait, what, what are we talking about? But it was like, I can't go back. Yeah. And it's funny. You talk about that therapy piece. Uh, often my, my views on my dad was sometimes, you know, he had seen horses as a form of his own therapy of healing. And a lot of you know, horsey people would be like that, uh, that I I came across. And it's funny, before we pressed record here, we were talking about that whole nature of healing and and sometimes how um, I sometimes viewed, you know, how the horses were were nearly treated better than myself. You know, my dad seemed to be really connected and sensitive to their needs. And I was kind of going, hold on, what about me over here? Right. You know, could you apply that over here, please? Yeah, Yeah, I know. And that, that was my experience in the horse and the dog world. And it was certainly my experience. And I, I do write about this in the book because there's a moment in my memory that I, that I write about and reflect on where I made a choice to start listening and connecting with the animals. And I gave up on humans as a trusted species and it was a very young age. And I, I drifted like into that, um, that divide further and further. And I I mean, I think there's like a time and place for separatism. (laughs) I do believe sometimes we've got to step back and heal, but I did that at like three years old. I started to not really trust humans And it took a long time really in my own process to then bridge the, to bridge back to the human world. And so I think a lot of animal people go into their relationships with their animals because it is safer for them. And they, they, you know, that horse whispering, like the horses are whispering to the human as much as the human is whispering to the horses. And there's a language there that feels safe but the human never makes the bridge back to the human. And so my work is really about that because that's what I've been able to do. And I still struggle with it, but it's definitely been my personal growth around how do I apply this to my human relationships? Because I don't want to be a spinster. I mean, there's a part of me that does want to just live by myself on my ranch just like 300 animals, but I'm not going to do that. I am like, I'm not, I I have to say that like three times a day and say that to my daughter, like, no, we are, we are with the humans, but um, no, it's important for us to have a human herd. Yeah. And and again, in your book, you mentioned about the four channels of awareness. So it is all about relationships and that and relationships with myself with you in front of me, us as a team or the environment or the context, which we'll cover later on. And it kind of got me into a conversation, would you believe, this book with my own dad. 
It's funny when you talk about different terms like breaking in horses that, you know, that term was a term that my dad didn't actually like using. He was very gentle with the horses and and that and a big fan of loose schooling horses and, and different approaches like that. And then we started talking about, you know, growing up and horses and his relationship with me. And I made the assumption that he didn't rate me as a, you know, for my horsemanship or horse skills. And, and he goes, where did you get that from? And, and it's funny, the conversation, this is like 30, 40 years later, 30 years later, you know, and it's funny how different levels of awareness, like my relationship with my dad is getting stronger all the time and he's noticing different things about me and I'm noticing different things about him. And it's it's useful to keep exploring for that self-awareness, isn't it? So he, from his perspective, he did experience applying the horsemanship to his fatherhood. He felt quite comfortable doing that with horses. I'm not sure, you know, with me as a, a son or with my brothers and my, my sister, if that was the same, you know. Um, and I, I suppose the reason I like this book is brought a different level of awareness to me that I probably hadn't had, you know. And, and I read lots of books on leadership and self-awareness. And it was just through this lens. I think it's because of the the relationship with the horses, relationship with my dad, you know, he's just getting older now and I'm, I'm just looking at him in a different light. That's beautiful. It is, it is. And, and it's, it's funny with horses, when I was thinking about my own relationship with horses then is they're hugely intelligent and, and uh, sensitive. At the same time, if you're not confident, the horse would pick up on that. And then the horse would go, listen, we're not jumping that jump because I don't think you can handle it, you know, or, or whatever. And the horse is there to, to mind us as well. They are there, there to keep us honest with ourselves mm. and to keep the group safe. And so if they're reading that something's a little off, they always listen to it and they're going to honestly respond to it. And so they don't need us to be confident. They need us to be honest. Yeah. And we're often faking confidence. And, you know, we're taught to like, you know, and you'll hear people in the horse world say like, well, don't let them know you're scared. And it's like comical to me because they smell that they can smell your adrenaline and they they can hear, sense your heartbeat and your heart rate. And they know how you feel. And it's actually better to just tell them and own it and let them help you. Yeah. And you know, work with the fear rather than to try to suppress it. A bit like human beings, you know, human animals are, horses are the same, like different personalities, different horses. We had one horse, Kaylee, and I could jump six foot walls with no problem. You know, if I did that in the North Horse, I wouldn't be able to do it. And I, I like what you said in the book, this human animals concept. So you have a quote here from Caesar Milan, and human beings are the only animals who are happily lied to by our own minds about what is happening around us. I love that. It's a really powerful quote. And, and it's about those awareness channels because our thoughts will tell us what's going on, but we haven't actually used this incredible ability that we have to really scope out what's going on. And so we'll believe our own thoughts. And then we actually are very blind to orientation of what's happening in our immediate ecosystem or relational system or our, the ecosystem of our own body. Mm. So that thinking part of us is we, we believe all our thoughts, which is just fascinating to me because we have a lot of garbage thoughts. 
This podcast was brought to you in association with Dynamic Partners, your experts in leadership development. For more information, visit dynamicpartners.ie. We are ambitious for your leadership. Are you? That's the thing about the book. So you were talking about this being a reclamation project. So we sometimes cut ourselves off from the natural signals of, you know, of our animal bodies. Um, And especially when it comes to self-care and we talk about pace, this is something that you bring up in the book. And this is something that comes up with nearly every leadership podcast that I do. Self-care is so important. Why do we cut off those natural signals then you know you were saying at three you started cutting off those signals to your relationship with people why do we do these things well we train our children to cut those signals off and so if you think about how we're socialized we our children early on there's no break system of them sensing what they need and communicating it they certainly need to be guided about how to do that in a social structure so that they're not like biting and kicking and, and, you know, like it's not a, it's not disruptive to the social order of things, but we, for, I think our, the more industrialized we get, the further we get from our own body needs. Yeah. And so, I mean, if you look at even like the history of breathing, we actually, <laughs> have we're not we're the only species that is not breathing properly and so we have somehow like our our the way that we put focus on thought and language and relating and doing intellectual activities has us further and further every day all day from attending to how we're using our breath, what we're doing like what's happening in our muscles at any given moment, what our body's trying to tell us to try to get into a state of ease at that nervous system level. And we're so caught up in what we're doing right now, which is thinking, talking, and relating. Yeah. So as you've been asking me questions and you're using words like signals of the body, I started tuning in and I'm like, oh my God, my shoulders were really high and I wasn't breathing because I'm reminded. I'm like, oh yeah, I need to do the thing that I teach, right? Which is relax and settle into this conversation so that I can have all of me. Like I want the intellect, I want the language, I want this connection with you, but I need my body to be at ease. And it wasn't. And and once you started using those words, I was like, oh yeah, I have to do that too. (laughs) Funny, I had the exact same thought. (laughs) When you mentioned um, ease, I was kind of like dis-ease. I was like, "I, I need to relax, I need to breathe. And then I noticed the breathing in my tummy that I needed to, to relax. Yeah, I was all constricted in my chest. And it's like, that's just years of habituated, you know, we've been trained to hold our breath and sit in a chair and stay there, even if our body is aching or numb or tingling or we're anxious or pissed, we're angry because we don't want to sit in a, in a chair, you know, but like, we're not like, why do we sit in chairs all day? I don't know. Like why, who decided that? And so when we talk about self-care though, somehow we put it into this other category that consists of these very external, like formalized behaviors Yeah. that are like meditation class and yoga. And I'm like, no, no, no. 
how are you sitting in the chair right now? <laughs> That's actually, and is that the chair you want to be sitting in? And is it really sitting that you want to be doing? And how's the constriction in your chest or your belly or your heart? Or, you know, that is a kind of self-care that the animals are doing all day. They're making these micro adjustments, which is why we love watching grazing horses because we're watching them micro adjust and it's so to be in ease and it is so captivating because that's what we want. Mm. And then we love watching them use their power. That's the other thing we love and they're able to use it in synchronicity and in this incredibly majestic way because they've been doing ease the rest of the day. And those are the two things we love about watching horses, ease and the beautiful, collaborative, synchronized use of power. Yeah. So it's an important thing, like what, what is it that captures our attention? And it's usually the thing we're wanting for ourselves. And, and, and that's what you mentioned in the book. You talk about pace and rhythm of the day that busy disease and often when I'm talking to people uh, whether it's leadership or whether it's about personal productivity and energy management I, I often say to people because we don't uh, often think about our mental fatigue and I was saying if you were thirsty should you, you get a drink you know because you be listening to your body and, and sometimes that when that mental fog comes in we don't needs to be switched on isn't it that busy disease that like what advice would you give to people because some people might say well it's it's fine for you you're you're living on a ranch with 300 animals you know there's that difference between urban life and rural life but 300 animals seems fairly busy no to me i don't actually have 300 animals that's my fantasy of spinster life okay <laughs> i have like 25 although i have a female dog that's about to deliver puppies and i found out there's seven and so I'm about to expand and it like momentarily about to happen here. So, um, no, I mean, I do have a very busy life and I have, um, you know, a lot of things that I do. I have the animal life and I'm a parent, I'm a single parent. I write and I teach and then I coach and consult with corporations and organizations and I train hundreds of people. And then I run a team of people in my organization, my own organization. And, and so I do all of those things. But if you look at my calendar and the way that I've set it up, I've used that concept of pace so that I can, when I'm going to do things, I'm really thinking about how I'm using my energy when, and like when the timing is right for those things. And I build in a lot of rest and a lot of places where I can come back down and settle back into myself so that when I do go back to work, I have all of my energy. Hmm. And then I also do something that I think is part of a self-care practice that we're not really, also, we're not socialized to do either, which is I, I have a, my own hurt. So I have a lot of support. Yeah. And I know how to use it and when and um, how to let people help me. And so I only do the things that are really the thing that only I can do. Yeah. And then everything else, like if I write something, it immediately goes to the assembly line. <laughs> it goes to all the people and my team 
that can make that go out into the world in all the different ways that it needs to. And I stay out of the way of that. And that's what it's like to be in a herd is that you step in when it's needed and then you step out when it's not. And so a lot of the busyness that we're doing is that we're not letting go of things that we should not be holding on to. Yeah. And not building in time for ease so that we can even make those choices. So we're just on this kind of habit or cycle of busyness that we don't even realize we need to be in. And I love the point that you made about awareness fatigue in animals. I, I really love this concept. So they take it in turns to be on the lookout. I thought this is brilliant. And, and I was, it, it was it like leads me to those, those different states of alertness that you need to put someone else in your herd on the alert so then you can take a break. And I, I'm thinking of, for example, when our, my two sons were babies and stuff like that, taking turns, you know, to go, okay, you get a good night's sleep to my wife and I'll take over tonight. Or, or even if you're running a business, who's watching whatever. So I love this concept to say, actually, if we're constantly in high alert, then this is what's leading then to the busyness disease. Yeah. yeah, it's actually illegal in a lot of countries for prey animals like horses to be alone. It's like against the law because it's considered cruel for a herd animal to not, because they can't rest. Yeah. And so they have, they end up like sleep deprived and because they're never getting any REM sleep. And actually, if you think about parenting, we were tribal species. So this idea of like two people in a home with one, like one or two or 10 babies, (laughs) however many it is, like we were never, we were supposed to share awareness as a species as well. And so the way that we even raise children is a little bit different than I think it's been done traditionally and is in other parts of the world and other cultures. Yeah. And it's that awareness fatigue piece. Then when we translate it to like a corporate environment, I just did an all day workshop with a group that I've been working with. And it's a company that has recently gone public And um, so there's a lot of fatigue because of the pace with which they've had to work to get to that point. And they were in startup mode, then they went into huge growth, and then they went into this IPO mode. And so the first time they came out here, all of the horses, like, met them at this tree, which we call the napping tree. That's where we entered the gate. And we were going to go find the horses, and instead the horses all came to us, and everyone laid down. And the horses were like snoring. I have video. Uh, I've never seen it happen before. And I was like, so are you all tired? And they were like, we're exhausted. And so we spent like an hour at the napping tree, just like letting ourselves be tired together. And then we continued to work together. And they're, now we're working on this concept of awareness fatigue. And we spent the whole day working on how do you share awareness And how do you pass that baton so that you can learn to own awareness in that moment and communicate to the herd, to the human herd, but then how do you drop back so you can rest it? And it was incredible to see how it, how, how quickly humans do pick up on it and how needed it is. Um, But also how many habits we have of, 
staying, either staying vigilant when we don't need to be or tuning out and checking out. And so it was really, really interesting to play with that concept for a whole day. This podcast was brought to you in association with Dynamic Partners, your experts in leadership development. For more information, visit dynamicpartners.ie. We are ambitious for your leadership. Are you? And isn't it how we are hypervigilant sometimes if you approach a horse and then that feedback loop where the horse is actually mirroring what what we're presenting them and and leadership is much like that isn't it it's it's pretty much a reflection and we have we have blind spots we all have blind spots oh you know? yeah 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 I, I love this whole notion of the language of equus did i pronounce that correctly for horse whispering you know yeah i mean i think yeah equus um people refer to that and i i mean i'm the horse whispering thing i i have just like your dad, I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I think that the language around that came perhaps from Monty Roberts, um, but I think that, um, and and it also came from Robert Redford's movie, which was you know based on Buck Brannaman. And but I've ridden with Buck and like and you know studied a lot of like the work of his teachers and they would never use that word. <laughs> My dad would never use that. Yeah. They would be like, oh, I don't know. Um, but it's the language of the mammal, which is about how we communicate with the body. Well, the reason I brought this up was to introduce the, the notion of draw and drive. So with relationships, you know, and not enough draw or drive. So we'll say, for example, I was re- uh, riding a horse Montana a couple of years ago. And it was just a very different style, obviously, the European style with the, the Western style saddle and all that. Or, and, and you were talking about, you know, uh, power and control, like power is all about influence, you know, and obviously you have to control the horse to stop them and different things like that. In relationships, when you talk about draw and drive, can you explain the difference between draw and drive? One is how we pull people in or how we push people on, that type of uh, approach. And sometimes we underdo it or overdo it mm-hmm. in relationships because that's what leadership is all about, essentially, isn't it? It's, it's about your relationship with yourself and others. I think you have a lovely uh, definition uh, of that. You define leadership simply as this. How each individual leads their life, takes care of self-needs and shows up in interactions with others, regardless of rank, title, hierarchy. We lead ourselves all day, every day. I love that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I forgot that I said that. (laughs) So thank you. Um, Yeah, I think that holds up. And I think a lot of times that, that the term leadership is triggering for people because it what it evokes is where power and control are out of balance or where draw and drive are out of balance. And the way that I was taught to think about relational systems um, is, is a systemic approach, meaning that, that if you look at ecosystems, we're always trying to find a place of homeostasis or equilibrium. And so a lot of times when something feels like when we're experiencing pressure or a need, what we're experiencing is where things are out of balance. So it, we get out of a pathological way of looking at things and saying like someone's a leader or not a leader, or, you know, they're, um, 
they're influencing well or not influencing well. But really what we're looking at is, is where are things just out of balance and where is there a need for more or less of something? And so this idea of draw and drive, for instance, like, do I put so much pressure on my relationships to try to get others to want to be with me that I actually am driving that pressure is driving others away from me because there's no space for them to breathe in the relationship. And, and if I pull back that a little bit, that drive, does it give some space for the, for the relationship to come to me, which would be the draw? Is there a natural draw to me? And so again, it's not, it's not looking at like, I'm too much. It's just, I, if I turn part of this down a little, the other has room to come in to the mix. It has room to come into the system. And so a lot of the ways that we look at leadership and when we use that word, we're looking at, we're thinking about power and we're thinking about ways that people have too much power and they're actually overpowering others, meaning they're taking their choices away, which is how we victimize and so we are thinking about leadership hierarchically, which means that we're overpowering people. And that the way that I'm talking about leadership is how are how is power in balance, meaning that we we have this system in, of influence where we let each other in. Like I'm looking at the book here, like, and I have to say, the book is full of stories. It is full of, um, you know, different insights and questions at the end. At the end of each chapter, it gives you a little bit of that. I love when that's in, in books. And and again, when you talk about relationships without enough draw, they don't inspire us, they don't feel welcoming, or they lack that warmth or affection. And then with too much draw, is obviously we're smothering or confusing. And then the power piece is really important then as well, isn't it? As you were saying there, and, you know, it can be, exhausting as well isn't it on people if we don't have that balance there if it's unplugged that power or it's overdeveloped we need to figure out how to loosen that and I often have that I've this image of me when I learned how to ride a horse is that I was trying to spur the horse on you know squeezing my um my my heels in and and again I was holding too tight onto the reins so I was trying to do both at the same time and just getting it completely wrong and I I think leaders are often like that aren't they is, oh is, yeah is, is they're overcompensating in one way and then too much or too little there like what are the biggest learnings when you're teaching in, in your 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 horse coaching approach well, I think working with the horses loose is great because <clears throat> we're able to play with, you know, bringing energy or bringing direction or intent without actually tool. We're not without like tools or implements that are get in our way of understanding what role do I play? How am I leading myself into this experience? And so oftentimes if, if you look at the power and control duality and how that plays out like with a horse coaching moment, if you're in a round pen with a loose horse and perhaps the thing you're going to do is to try to use power and influence to get that horse moving. A lot of times the person will approach it as I'm going to make them do it. And that, that loose approach just for our listeners is without any reins or any lead uh, there, isn't it? The horse is just loose. There's an, and there's enough space in there that the horse can choose to do whatever they decide to do. They can get away from the human pressure but there's also, there's, I use a, lar- a large round pen because I like there to be enough space for there to be influence 
like we're containing this is a herd of two human and horse but there's enough space that the the horse really can leave they can get out of the zone of influence and get away from the pressure and so i i actually have like my round pen is it's like 70 feet which is larger and um and it could probably even be a little bit bigger and and then you know most of the time we're out in the pastures with the whole herd but when we do this particular exercise in around power and control we'll demonstrate you know how to use your own energy to get things in the system moving invariably the human interpretation of that is i'm going to make the horse run and the horse can't feel the influence because the horse the human isn't actually leading Get, trying to make someone do something isn't inspiring. And so, but if I say, let's go, I'm going to, let's get moving, that actually excites and energizes that two body system. Yeah. And so we get to explore models of power right there. Like, but are you actually empowered and are you empowering or are you trying to make something happen? And what happens if you try to play with both? And the other part is most leaders, um, most people actually, once they get things moving, they end up getting out in front of the horse and blocking them. So they end up, they'll get things moving. And that would be the definition of control. So they're like, I got things moving and now I'm at the horse's head and I'm in their way. And so it's a great metaphor for what happens as a leader, like, wow, things are moving and now I'm blocking everything. And so that's the way that like, I don't know how to energize and I also don't know how to move with without getting in the way. And so, and, and that sometimes we get in the way because we don't even know we are in the way, but other times we get in the way because power that we are not controlling is scary. And we feel out of control. And so how do we manage ourselves instead of managing others and let things play out? And so people will block that movement with the horse because they don't realize that they can use their own nervous system just to bring things down and calm things down. If you want to bring things, the energy back down and the movement back down, just slow yourself down. And so what they start to play with in that loose horse experience is bringing energy up together, bringing it back down, how to position yourself so you're not in the way, but you're staying with. And it's a great experience for, now how do I do that with people? How do I energize when I'm around, if that's what I'm wanting to inspire? And how do I calm things down with my own nervous system? And it's funny the myths of leadership that people have that you always have to lead from the the front yeah. I coach a lot of introversion uh, uh, type leaders and I say how about leading from behind you know how do you about getting the blockers out of people's way you know and and they just love that concept oh, so, yeah. so thank you thank you for sharing that with us and, and that brings me to mind then about boundaries you know you, you have defense uh, there to use that uh, analogy then and, and I love this concept that you have of shaping relationships like a a piece of clay so especially when it comes around boundaries then that there's a bit of that symbiotic relation to say okay well, well what's working for you here yeah. you know so i think that's really important is is that that's the thing that people often don't speak about in systems or in teams or relationships or 
what are the boundaries? I know, I know it, this is something that we started off before I was asking you about permission of, of different things and you were going to go for it. And then we talked about improv and different things like that. Um, but I, I, I do think it, you talk about that boundary cycle in your book, you know, and, and there's many different elements, but what are the key elements that maybe our listeners would be interested in? Well, I, I just experienced this on on Sunday. I was riding horses with a friend and we were talking about, I was showing her how I will ask my horses to move around me rather than me moving around them. Mm. And it's not meaning like, can you please scoot back and get out of my way? (laughs) And, um, (laughs) I need to go that way. So can you please move your feet? Yeah. Rather than I am going to go around you and accommodate where you are. And we were talking about hierarchy. Like, well, why do I get to say that? And, you know, it's not about I'm always asking that. I want to listen to their needs as well. And that's how we shape the relationship. But they, I need to have a voice. And so when I have a need, I would like them to listen and accommodate me. And when they have a need, I'm going to listen and accommodate them. It's a two-way street. It, it's not. And so I'm when I ask for space from them, I'm not in charge of the whole relationship. I'm in charge of that moment and my need in that moment. Yeah. And so that is a constant conversation. The result of that is that I can lead my horses with a piece of thread around their neck. I don't need a halter or a rope or I can lead them all over the ranch with like twine around their neck because, or nothing, because we're in this conversation about needs. And that's really about shaping a relationship. And there's trust. And the trust is, if I have a need, you're going to listen Mm. and do your best to accommodate it without betraying yourself. And if, if we're going to do that back and forth. Mm. And so I think in a lot of our human relationships, I think about parenting, for instance, and we, we have wild swings of accommodating our children's every need without telling them any of our own or then And then we get really frustrated and we come down really hard on them because we're fried and we, we like snap at them when we finally have a need. Yeah. And it's like what I realized really early on, if I want to teach my daughter empathy and social skills, she's going to have to learn that I have needs. So I have to teach her how to treat me so she can learn that others are going to expect that of her in the world. And I'm going to listen to her needs and really like try to teach her how to talk about them in ways that people are going to want to listen to her needs. And I'm really going to pay attention to those. You know, it's the same thing in our human groups. How do we start those conversations? And that's how that trust builds. This podcast was brought to you in association with Dynamic Partners, your experts in leadership development. For more information, visit dynamicpartners.ie. We are ambitious for your leadership. Are you? You have a wonderful section in the book where you talked about that trust cycle. So you have the boundary cycle and the trust cycle. So I highly recommend that. And it's not often you see the rapper Ice Cube mentioned there. Uh, and, and I must say about this is because it is about the relationship with herself, isn't it? Before you go into the relationship with yourself, you, you know, a lot of relationships is about ego, baggage and anxiety. 
clean up your side of the street before you can. So, so I'm a mediator as well. I do a lot of work at trust in teams. And I, I, I just loved <laughs> that quote. You don't have to get Ice Cube mentioned, but there you go. <laughs> uh, and, and, and this, this, I suppose, brings me to mind then of, of some of your offerings then. So not many of us will be able to travel who are listening in. So you're, you're based in, in California. You know, saying that I may make it out to you, never know. Uh, you have an online offering then as well and, and the book. So I'd like to, I suppose, know more about that circle up experience. And I, I think what we're, we're listening more about is that non-verbal language of, of that natural leadership. This is how we tap into it. Um, and it is tapping into ourselves and listening to those signals within ourselves. So um, can you tell me about the online version first? So what's the circle of experience in the online version? I really learned to work with teams virtually during the pandemic. I, I, I do some of that. And then um, I really do everything I can to either travel to a team to be able to do in-person work together or have people travel to me. So we at least get something experiential going and then we can do all kinds of virtual work together. Um, But then I also do some teaching online. And so what that looks like is I have an online platform, a classroom with a lot of content and it's an introduction to this work. And, um, there's things to learn on your own and exercises to do. And then we come together for live conversation. And it's a lot of doing experiments that try to wake this natural leadership up wherever you are and then coming together as a group to talk about it and debrief and ask questions so that we can, you know, try to bring those experiences to life and those concepts to life. And then I do, I'll offer an on-site here or anywhere that's yeah. desired where we then practice that preferably with the animals, but I've done it without animals as well. We have to remember that we are animals so we can use each other. And so, um, but it really fast tracks things when we have our horses as, as teachers and, and to help us with that. So then from there, if people want to go on and do some deeper learning I do a nine month advanced cohort group. And those are people that have already been through the introduction and understand all of the concepts. And then we're applying those to different systems. So we start with what does it look like in a two person system, in a family, in a team, in a whole company. Um, And we start to apply, you know, how do you influence a system and take all of these concepts within different systems. And so usually people that are in that cohort come from all different backgrounds. Um, it's, it's, you know, doctors, leaders, um, uh, parents, teachers, therapists, and then we are applying the concepts in these different systems and they're bringing case examples. So it's really fun because we're doing a lot of integration work. I think it would be really important. Uh, it's on page 169, just for our listeners, in case you, you check out the book. And you have this concept of, of the trust cycle and what you have here is the courage change the leap of faith vulnerability authentic connection positive relating and confidence in self i think it's the wonderful ingredients for that a trust that that trust cycle and you can see why it really does take a skilled facilitator to guide 
your herd to that, whether it's, you know, yeah. your, your team or your family or, or your, your business partners, whoever they may be. There is that cross section of being able, being comfortable around horses and also being comfortable as a facilitator and then comfortable with the knowledge, isn't it? It's like, it's a unique offering in what you have. Well, there's my mentor, Jim Maddock, who I reference a lot because he's just like so in my brain all the time. He's passed away, um, but he's like very much alive within within me. Um, he talked about trust um, that first and foremost is about that trust in self. So in that trust cycle, that confidence in self comes from living through experiences, getting through them, learning, getting to the other side and moving on. And so that's what that trust cycle is really about. And every time we do that, we become more resourced internally and have more trust in ourselves, which then encourages us to go do something hard again. And so oftentimes what we're looking for is trust outside of ourselves to do the hard thing. But the problem is, is that it actually, it's an internal resource. Do I trust that I can handle what's happening right now? And so I think what you're bringing up is that the more that you are practicing some of this knowledge and, you know, the coaching piece and the ability to hold the space of a a group system or whatever those pieces are, the more that you're doing that and taking those leaps of faith, learning from them, building that, the more trust in yourself you have. And what that brings to a group is a trusting environment that when I go into a group setting, I don't know what's going to happen. And that's the improv part of me is like, I have no idea. I have hypotheses because of how I think and work as a systems trained person, but I don't really know. What I do know is my whole history of how I handle the unknown. And that's that confidence and self piece that, and that's that self leadership piece. I know that I can stay aware and pivot and adjust and think on my feet. And that come, that's come from 3,000, 300,000 leaps of faith, not from a bunch of plans. It's come from a bunch of unknown. Like I would completely identify with, with that. A lot of times when I'm coaching people, they begin to doubt that trust in themselves. It's that imposter syndrome or oh, I got the job now and I'm going to go, oh, can I really trust myself to do it? Or will others trust me? And it's a bit like going back to that relationship with horses. Like if you're you're a confident in, in your own um, uh, riding ability, you'll be able to easily jump on from one horse to another just by approaching the horse. And then when you get up and then you kind of, you, you find out of each other in the first 10 minutes, then you know all about it, you know, and you know, you know how to adapt and change to the horse's needs and they'll respond to your needs. And, you know, that's the whole thing about leadership, isn't it? Is that true art of connection with self and with others, uh, you know, with whoever's in, per- in front of you and that environment. So we're coming to the end of our podcast. Thank you so much for your time here. Oh, thank you. If people were to uh, get in contact with you, Beth, how might they do so? Um, the easiest is to go to my website, uh, thecircleofexperience.com. And you're welcome to um, peruse everything that there's a lot there. There's a lot of content there, um, both in the media area where, you know, you could listen to this podcast and others like it and read different 
um, things that have been out in the world. And then there's also um, a lot of uh, uh, writing. There's a lot of blog posts on there as well. And then just information about what we do and what we offer. And you're welcome to reach out to me from there. Beth, thank you so much for coming on to the Workplace Podcast. Thank you. This was such a pleasure. That's it for this episode of the Workplace Podcast. My special thanks to this week's guest for a wonderful discussion. If you want to get in contact with the podcast about a workplace topic or a particular challenge that you're facing, contact me via Twitter at Different Paths. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, William Corless, C-O-R-L-E-S-S, or go to my website, www.yellowwood.ie. Yellowwood, your external learning and development partner. Provider executive coaching, facilitation, and training. Take a different path to success with your career, leadership, team, and organization. <laughs>